0: We continue in our um, reframe series. We are in the midst of Galatians, a letter that Paul wrote to a, a group of young churches, new churches, mostly populated with Gentile Christians. Paul had established those churches, but along uh, came these teachers, which we call Judaizers, or uh, Paul sometimes refers to them as the circumcision party and they come along and say well we want to complete what Paul started, we want to give you a fuller teaching of the gospel and this has riled the apostle up in a way um, to where he is, he is writing uh, against this and he's saying that, that the gospel that they are preaching or teaching is no gospel whatsoever and, and the circumcision party is basically saying this, we're, we're, we're believing in Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, but it's not enough. You have to have Jesus plus circumcision. You have to have Jesus plus keeping the law. And so Paul is, is, is mounting argument after argument in this letter saying, no, it is acceptance and... In Christ alone plus nothing. And so, in this section that we're going to look at in chapter 3, he's basically explaining to the Galatian Christians and to us that if you really want the law, I'm going to give you the law. And he's basically saying, not only are these Judaizers not understanding the gospel, but they don't even understand the law. And so here's this passage. It begins at verse 6 of chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. That is a huge statement right there. He, he has just switched the religious paradigm. He says, so you see those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. So you can see by this passage, you can see what Paul is saying. He's saying, this circumcision faction they don't understand the gospel but they don't understand the law either you want the law i'll give you the law let's go back to abraham let's go back to the father of the faith let's go back to the one to whom the promise was given so in a statement that would have infuriated the judaizer paul tells the galatians that all who have faith in christ are children of abraham you see they They have believed that not only do they have the right to teach this because they think it's right, but they they think they have the right to teach this because they're already in because they're biological children of Abraham. And they're thinking that by their biology they're accepted rather than by their faith they are accepted. So Paul shows the Galatians that being physically descended from Abraham is not nearly as important as having faith in jesus christ and in his finished work and what paul is saying is god accepts all of us on the exact same basis as he accepted abraham we are accepted on the basis of faith and not on the basis of what we do nor on the basis of our biology all who have faith in jesus are descendants of Abraham. Now Paul is great in his argument here. He's very specific. The words of Galatians are just so rich with meaning. He uses a very very specific word to to talk about the 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 consequences and how God treated the faith that Abraham expressed in him. The word used here is the word credited or counted in verse 6. This is a this is an accounting term. The idea here is that instead of specific actions being counted as a credited payment, Abraham's belief, Abraham's faith in the promise was what was the basis on which it was credited to him as righteousness. This is so important that we understand this and that we understand what, what it means to have something credited as righteousness. No righteous action was being taken. No work was being performed. As a matter of fact, Abraham is over 400 years before the law is even given. So there was no way that he could have performed according to the standards of law. You can see why this is such an important argument is because before the law was ever given, Faith was the basis of Abraham's righteousness. But what is what is meant by that? Well, it's simply this. In that moment, Abraham believed in the promise. And in believing in the promise, that united Abraham with Christ's perfectly obedient life. It united him to Christ's perfectly obedient life and sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross, it united Abraham with Christ's resurrection, with Christ's ascension, with Christ's coronation, and being seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, by believing in the promise, God counted and credited To Abraham, all the righteousness of Christ, even before Christ had performed all his righteousness. That is how powerful, that is how wonderful faith is. But you and I are not looking to the promise. We are looking back on the fulfillment of the promise. And when you put your faith like Abraham put his faith in the promise, but you put your faith in the reality of the lord jesus's life death and resurrection when you put your faith in that everything christ participated in he unites to you and it's credited to you so that your righteousness just like abraham's righteousness is credited to you or counted to you now does it what does that mean well when god credits righteousness He's conferring a legal status on someone. He treats them as actually righteous and treats them as free from condemnation, even though they are still actually unrighteous in their heart and even in their behavior. They are justified. They are brought into right relationship. They are accepted. They are approved. They are forgiven. Um. We talk a lot about Martin Luther during these uh, reframe series because Martin Luther is so important to understand when it comes to the letter to the Galatians and how God used this letter and Romans to transform Luther's life. Luther was convinced of the seriousness of sin. He was convinced of the holiness of God. He was a dedicated and devoted monk and priest. His peers, fellow monks, fellow priests, thought him to be the most righteous man because he was so dedicated, he was so devoted, he was, he, he was so observant. And yet, in his heart, Luther felt like he was so far from God. He was so far from the standards of holiness. And so he did everything he could to try to atone by fasting and depriving himself and beating himself and denying himself. And still, he could not in any way begin to feel a closeness with God or an intimacy with God or a worthiness to even stand in the presence of God. And he was speaking with an older man. And the older man started pointing him in a way that is important for us. He said to him, "If you are trying to get God's approval by trying to love God, you will never love God. You think about it. When you're when you're really when you all you're doing is trying to get something from somebody, and you're using somebody to get something, it's not love. It's a transaction, and it will always be disappointing because no matter how much you give." It won't seem like you're getting back what you, you know, what you most desire, what you long for, and that's the way it was working with Luther. He he's trying to love God, but in the end, he wasn't experiencing forgiveness. He wasn't experiencing acceptance. And the, this older teacher said to him, "If you're trying to, to gain forgiveness or gain acceptance by you know, trying to love the person, if you're trying to love them so that they will forgive you, you will never feel love for them. And this older man said, but if you receive the forgiveness, if you receive the grace, if you receive the mercy and you know that you're forgiven, then your heart will love in response. Trying to love to be forgiven will never happen. But receiving forgiveness will break down the barriers so that you can love and that was the beginning that was the very beginning of luther beginning to turn away from works beginning to turn away from his own righteousness was when he said if he forgives me and i receive his forgiveness if i know that it's counted to me as righteousness then i can love and that and that's the case with us We realize, like Abraham, it has to be credited to us. You have to believe. See, this flies in the face of all traditional religion, which tells us that either we are living righteously and are therefore pleasing and acceptable to God, or we are living unrighteously and are therefore alienated from God. But here's Paul using the example of Father Abraham. And he's showing us that it is possible to be absolutely loved and accepted by God while we ourselves are still wrestling with our sinfulness and our imperfection. Well, Paul goes on to say, okay, would you really rather the curse? Because if you're gonna add works to your faith, then you're really, what you're doing is you're putting yourself back under the curse. Listen, this is verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the one who is righteous will live by faith. If the law does not rest on faith, on the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. So one of the one of the major ways there's, there's actually two major access points that Satan has, that the enemy has to curse you or to bring about negative consequences or negative circumstances in your life that have a spiritual component. And, and the two ways are is simple in a way he, he uses emotional access like, uh, trauma, pain, betrayals, um, uh, just life being disappointing. He can use emotional access. But but he loves to use the legal access. And so there's a legal element to the curse, one that many people don't think about. There are people who are saying, Well, you know, I do my best. I try my best to be a good Christian or be a good person or whatever it is. And you know, I think my good deeds outweigh my bad. But theologically what what the Bible is saying Anyone who says, I can be saved by obeying the law, by doing more good than bad, basically, then must be prepared to really look at what the law commands. So the law commands that if you're going to love God wholly in order to be accepted by God, you would have to obey the law perfectly. You'd have to obey the law holy To be blessed by God, by your works, instead of being cursed by him, according to the scriptures, We would have to look at at every aspect of the law and satisfy its every demand. Why do you think Paul is so upset with the Judaizers? He's upset because of the hypocrisy of the Judaizers who are putting on the Gentile Christians, who are putting on the Galatian Christians and the Galatian church, the standards that they themselves have never been able to keep. Because no one, no one, can keep all of the law's demands. Attempting salvation by law observance means, then, legally we are cursed. But it's not just a legal says. There's a psychological curse or a psychological aspect to the curse. When you're trying to be saved and you're trying to be accepted on the basis of your own performance and works, it leads to anxiety profound anxiety and insecurity because you can never be sure that you're keeping all the standards sufficiently. So this makes you oversensitive to criticism, envious, intimidated by others who outshine you. It makes it to where you cannot in any way rejoice in those who are doing well because they're making you look bad. And you can't help but disdain those and look with, with uh, very uh, critical, sarcastic, you know, expression to those who are less than you. And so, this psychological element of the curse is it makes some people nervous and timid because they're unsure of where they stand, and it makes others swaggering and boastful. Because in their in their boasts, they're trying to convince themselves and others that they stand perfectly well. But either way, you live with a sense of curse and condemnation. Now, I think this is this is so key because it helps me so often help people get free because of the symptoms of their lives shyness, uh, withdrawal, uh, such you know. Critical introversion or people who are arrogant, braggadocious, who have grandiosity. You go back and you're saying and you're saying if you live afraid of people, or if you live as if you're arrogant and superior, then the gospel is not framing your life. What's happened is you have believed that somehow you were accepted by God on the basis of your performance instead of on the basis of Christ. Now this is the default setting of most people, either the grandiosity and superiority, or the inferiority and the insecurity. These are, these are, and, and the truth is most of us kind of seesaw between the two. When things are going well, we're up. When things are going badly, we're down. I mean, it's just a default type setting, but in my own life, I got really serious at following the lord when i was a high school student and i i wanted to i wanted to be devout i wanted to be holy and uh one of the teachers in my church who i looked up to started talking about well you can't really be a good christian if you're not a sabbath keeper um and the idea was that you would take all the laws of the sabbath and you would apply it to sunday now that that alone should tell you there's a problem with this belief because there's nowhere in scripture that it transfers the seventh day to the first day and gives it the same significance now some you know some people say well you know in revelation it calls sunday the lord's day and and that's fine but but you're still having to do a whole lot of theological, exegetical gymnastics to do this. But I didn't know how to do exegesis back then. I just trusted this particular leader. And so my family utterly changed everything about our Sundays. We wouldn't do any recreation because you couldn't do sports on Sunday. You couldn't play on Sunday. We, we prepared our food on Saturday so that we wouldn't have to work on Sunday. And and uh, in one of the larger catechisms of the Westminster Confessions, it actually says you can't take naps on Sunday, the day of rest, without sleep. And so we would listen to tapes of sermons, which ended up helping me in many ways. But it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't demanded of me. And yet, what happened is I started to feel myself so superior to all of my peers. I remember at youth groups, sometimes kids would come with McDonald's and I'd go, oh, you sinners, you, you awful people, you're eating McDonald's on a Sunday, making other people work. You see, I know it sounds kind of like a silly sort of thing, but to us it was, it was so intensely, this is the sacrifice we need to make, this is what will make us acceptable before God. So it doesn't matter if it's circumcision or if it's keeping all the works of the law or keeping the Sabbath like we were trying to do. What happens is it either makes you insecure because you're not keeping it well enough or it makes you feel superior because you think you're keeping it not only well enough but better than anyone else. And, And one of the keys here, it's such an important thing, is if the gospel acceptance has worked its way all the way into the foundational emotional needs of your heart. And you say, what really matters to me is I am accepted by God. What really matters to me is my acceptance in Christ. And this is where I have my foundation. Then neither praise nor criticism can destroy you. Now, I I have often as a pastor been the the, uh, object of Unfair criticism. I've been a, a person who's many times false allegations have been made against me because people are mad at me. All of these things. Um, if I did not have my acceptance in Christ, then those those accusations, those allegations, those criticisms would destroy me. Because you see, and what... What has to happen is that if you truly are accepted in Christ on the basis of Christ's righteousness and it's been credited to your account, then there really is therefore now no condemnation. Now, other people may condemn you, they may criticize you, but the one who matters is not condemning you. Does it hurt when people accuse you? Of course it does. Does it hurt when people you love Uh, Reject you of course it does because you're human and it's not supposed to not hurt but it doesn't wipe you out because either they're not understanding or you're not understanding that there is therefore now no condemnation who can lay a charge against you only christ jesus and christ jesus died for you and you begin to realize this is so significant to your psychological well-being you cannot go through this world without the enemy accusing you. Now, the other thing about this, and this is what I've found so helpful, is that if you are truly accepted by God, and there's something in the accusations that is true, either you've it's pointed out a weakness, or it's pointed out a failure, or it's pointed out a sin in your life, it doesn't change your acceptance, but it allows you to look at those sins, to look at those areas of weakness, to look at those areas of failure and to grow from them. Because if you will not acknowledge where you are weak, if you will not acknowledge where you have failed or where where you have sinned and fallen short, then you can't grow in that area. So oftentimes when people are are saying you did this or you did that. If there's truth in that, we can accept that truth while all the while knowing it does nothing to destroy our acceptance. It does nothing to destroy our relationship with God. Our righteousness has been credited to us already. And then these things where there are failures, where there are weaknesses, where there are sins, where there's motive issues, whatever, can be fully addressed honestly and openly so that then I can change I can grow I can be healed see to keep trying to work for acceptance or approval is to leave yourself under the curse and to always be subject to condemnation whereas to be accepted by Christ in Christ is to move yourself out from under the curse even the curse of people's criticism And to recognize the only one who matters doesn't condemn me. And then it allows you to grow and be healed and find greater freedom. That's why we desperately need a different way of framing our life than by the living by the law of performance. Paul says that the reframe we need is this. Through faith, a righteous person has life. Here Paul is quoting Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, continuing our story a little bit of Martin Luther, uh, once he started, his heart began to soften, but he went through very difficult periods of time where he would he would vacillate back and forth between faith and works. And there was a time when he was experiencing illness, he was experiencing depression. And when that was happening, he saw himself. In the the illness, in the depression, he saw himself coming under the wrath of God. He saw saw himself under condemnation. He saw himself under punishment. And so when he began to fear death, he started repeating this this phrase from Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Then uh, 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 I guess an opportunity came to him to go to Rome on a mission from his church. He thought, my prayers here will be even more effective as he climbs the stairs uh, there at, in the. Uh, uh, I forget what they called, the laddern staircase. I think is what it's called. And he, every step of the stair that he climbed, he would, he would, he would say these words: "The just shall live by the faith. The just shall live by faith." And when, when he you know, ceased that prayer. He went back to his church in Wittenberg. And then he said, his whole doctrine changed. This became the chief foundation of all his doctrine. Because Luther no longer believed there was anything he could do to gain favor with God. And instead, he began to live by faith in God's Son. Now, here's Luther's words He says, Before those words broke upon my mind, I hated God and was angry with him you see he thought he thought god was demanding that luther bring him righteousness he thought god was demanding something that luther could not do and so he was angry and hated god then he said but when by the spirit of god i understood those words the just shall live by faith the just shall live by faith then i felt born again like a new man I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God." What is it that Luther discovered in that ancient verse? Well, that the curse of not being able to perform the law, the curse we rightly deserve, had been transferred to Jesus. This is the great exchange that we receive by faith. Luther said it this way, So long as sin, death, and the curse remain in us, sin damns us, death kills us, and the curse curses us. But when these things are transferred to Christ, what is ours becomes His, and what is His becomes ours. Let us learn, therefore, in every temptation... This is reframing by the gospel, my friends. In every temptation to transfer sin, death, the curse, and all the evils that oppress us from ourselves to Christ. And on the other hand, to transfer righteousness, life, and blessing from Christ to us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, this is is what faith does. His faith says, every curse in me has been transferred to Jesus. All sin in me transferred to Jesus. All death in me transferred to Jesus. All oppression against me transferred to Jesus. And then by faith, I take hold of all the righteousness of Christ, the obedience of Christ, the love of Christ, the character of Christ. All of Christ has been transferred to me. And to live in that makes all the difference in the world. To live in the acceptance of God. Again, if you're living trying to get the acceptance of God, you'll never feel it. You'll never experience it very deeply. But if you live from the acceptance of God, that you are completely forgiven, that there is therefore now no condemnation, then it will melt your heart and you'll be filled with the love of the one who who has forgiven you.